You're listening to. And you're listening to the Clubcast, a podcast about pop culture and the creative life from an Asian American perspective. Welcome to a special bonus episode of the Clubcast.、Uh, my name is Marvin Yue, and I'll be your host for the next hour or so, where we'll bring you special coverage from the 2017 Los Angeles Asian Pacific Film Festival here in Los Angeles, California. We were asked to do some coverage of the event, and we got so much content that we didn't know what to do with. So we decided to just put everything together in a special bonus episode. So this is hopefully the first of many special Clubcasts, where we'll bring you special coverage outside of the、um, typical weekly show. The Los Angeles Asian Pacific Film Festival is an annual festival、um, put together by our friends at Visual Communications, and、uh, for the next hour or so, we're going to be bringing you、um, interviews and highlights from the first few days of the festival. Now we still have a few days of the festival left, so、um, if so, any leftover coverage will probably make into a segment for the upcoming Clubcast episode one nineteen on Monday. But please let us know what you think about this、um, new bonus content. Um, I guess format that we have. Hopefully, you get to learn something new or inspiring from、um, the many filmmakers here at the festival. And if you have any feedback or any、um, thoughts about this content, please send us an email at podcast@collaboration.org. We'd love to hear what you think. But without further ado, let's get to it. This first segment covers the opening night of Lapith,、uh, which took place on Thursday, April twenty seventh, twenty seventeen, at the Egyptian Theater in Hollywood.、Um, The opening night film was a rescreening of the Sundance cut of Better Luck Tomorrow, the now classic 2002 Asian American film by director Justin Lin. I was able to catch up with several members of the original cast who showed up for the screening and ask them about their thoughts now, 15 years later. Uh, Justin Lin for Better Luck Tomorrow screening. Karen Anna Chung. I'm here for Better Luck Tomorrow 15-year anniversary. I am Sung Kang, and I'm here for the 15-year、um, anniversary of Better Luck Tomorrow.、Uh, Perry Shen、uh, here for the、uh, Sundance rescreening 15 years later. Roger Fan, as Perry Shen said,、uh, 15 years after Sundance at the Egyptian Theater, 2017, Los Angeles Asian American Pacific Asian American Pacific Film Festival Festivus. <laughs> the, the acronym seems getting longer every year. <laughs> It gets longer. It's good to take a breath today. You know, I've been kind of working nonstop, and I haven't watched this cut for you know since 2001. So I'm, I'm really excited to kind of reconnect with a lot of the cast and crew,、um, and and just enjoy tonight. Oh, it's great! It, you know, it's it's wonderful that it's a reminder of this community that has just grown and evolved, and you know, you have old friends that were part of the journey from the beginning, and you know, now we got this new generation to celebrate, you know, what this film means. So it's really cool. I mean, I'm definitely proud of this. is like one of my most proud films. This film is、um, has just done so incredible. Like the fact of having a film.、Um, Have so many people behind it. I mean, back then, I was talking to Phil Yu, Angry Asian Man, earlier. You know, we didn't even have social media back then, and the amount of manpower we got just from the community and support is so incredible. You know, so like coming back to this, I am damn proud. <laughs> you know, that was that was at the beginning of the whole email, internet, you know, kind of campaigning. It's great to be able to have this new you know, tool. Um, and be able to use that to, you know, share this film. So you know, it was a memory that you know I got to be a part of to to know the power of what back then was the beginning of social media is and and where it's actually taken distribution and opportunities for Asian American storytellers today via YouTube or you know all the social media outlets and.、Um, Yeah, you know, it's, this better like tomorrow is almost like the grandfather of social media campaigning. It's, it's trippy because I I remember the energy when we first 
screen the film still and and thinking like 15 years from now like or 20 years from now how is this movie going to change our lives or where are we going to be and like now we're here <laughs> right it's trippy no it's funny if you can crank back to 16 years ago I mean I remember Perry and I were sitting around and we really felt like we made this really cool movie with Justin great script great people we're like oh my god who's going to see this thing and then we get into Sundance that happens and you flash forward to 15 years later and it's great to see like you know Justin's one of the biggest film directors on this planet you know Perry's on a TV series you know Sung's on a TV series doing you know everyone's more successful and I think a lot of it comes down to you know the energy that happened with Better Luck Tomorrow you know so it's it's nice to be here it's nice to be able to hang out with Perry it's great to see everybody again it's it's because we, we, we're, all, we're all parents now, so it's yeah. hard to get together. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm baby. I stopped to have a baby. So I think everyone's had a couple babies now in the group. <laughs> you know, the, this festival in BC means a lot to me. I mean, I, I kind of grew up here. And, you know, David Magdell, Linda Mabalit, there's been a lot of people that were a big part of my life and they're part of my family, you know. And, and to be able to, you know, go off and make films and, but always know that, you know, you can come home and reconnect, it means a lot. This means home. You know, this means a reminder of like the support and the community and the, the friendship. You know, it's it's a reminder that yeah man, you're not alone. Alright? Oh god, this is home base for me. This is like I started out volunteering at this festival before I even started acting. So this is um Abe, well back then it was Linda too and um yeah, I, it feels it feels it always feels like home coming back. It's weird. I mean, I mean, this festival is like our home festival. This is kind of it's everyone around here we've we knew 15 years ago. Uh, I mean, I mean Linda Mabalit, who was the head of the whole thing back in the day, she's no longer with us. I mean, you know, her energy's here. I mean, look down the red carpet. I mean, everyone that runs it, we're all just a little bit older, but it's definitely like a homecoming. It feels great. Well, I'm excited to see this guy's film here, Justin's film, Gook, and um, I'm interested in seeing Nadine Trong's film tomorrow as well. Um, I haven't seen Tanuj's film, Chi and Tea, which I'm excited to see. I'm working with Tanuj right now, um, just finished, just wrapped, and maybe doing a couple pickup shots on an, on an indie project, on an indie feature, um, with Anthony Ma and Grace Sue and Tanuj, and then Tanuj and I, off of that, we've been brewing a new project, so hopefully I have something interesting there announce at the end of the year awesome. uh, hopefully oh and I'm working on a documentary music documentary with um, director Hans Filsad from um, uh, I think it's Filsad I'm pronouncing his name incorrectly um, Hans directed Sunset Strip and um, uh, we brought him on uh, like two years ago and I'm co-producing it with um, four other people including my husband and two musicians and it's about roadies they've been kind of following some people around and um interviewing some people so we're in the middle of um, shooting that as well and doing some voiceover work and different things here and there always <laughs> working Next up is coverage from Press Day at LAP of 2017 I was able to sit down with several filmmakers and talk to them about their films First up is A Time to Swim, a documentary from Canadian filmmaker Ashley Young, which is about an exiled indigenous activist who returns to his childhood village in Borneo and struggles to navigate a complex web of interests and tensions in the race to save his culture. Ashley talks to me about her film and how she ended up finding her subject. It's a really interesting conversation, um, so without further ado, here is my conversation with Ashley Young. All right. We are here with uh, filmmaker Ashley Young um, of A Time to Swim at the Los Angeles Asian Pacific Film Festival. Um, welcome, Ashley. Uh, Thank you. Yeah. You are a filmmaker from... Montreal, Canada. Canada. Nice. Um, how long... You just got here... Last night. Nice. I'm a little bit jet-lagged. <laughs> how do you like this um, really summery weather we've been having? It's amazing. And it's so, like, just to see trees that have flowers and things on that. Canada right now is still just, you know, there's little buds, but nothing. Yeah, nothing Canada yet. has like... Um, very long winters. Very long winters and very short springs. And yes. summers too. Yes. Yeah. Very short everything except winter. 
Awesome. Um, we're doing the, the number one thing people love listening to on podcasts, which is talk about weather. Of course, yes. <laughs> so the movie is A Time to Swim. It's a documentary? Yes, a documentary. That's awesome. Um, can you tell me introduce tell, it? Yeah, yeah. so um, A Time to Swim follows the indigenous leader Mutang Urut as he returns home for the first time in 25 years. He left um, Sarawak, Malaysia in the early 90s because he was protesting the deforestation of the area. And he, for that, he was thrown in jail. And then when he was out on bail, he, he escaped to Canada, where he established a life. He has a French-Canadian wife and these two amazing children. And I follow him when he decides that it's time for him to go back. And then throughout the film, it, we follow, um, I guess, like him trying to find where he his position in the community again after being gone for so long great so how did you um how did you come across um your subject i was working on a on a film about fruit Mm. (laughs) it was for this this um, tv show called the nature of things with david suzuki okay and it's called the fruit hunters and we were trying to find a group of people who still subsisted a lot on wild fruits and that that's hard to find and then we read about this like tribe in Borneo the Penan mm-hmm. and then there were like these other journalists who were like oh you know there's this guy from Montreal who's from there like maybe he can help set you up with um, the that tribe's so, like you can go and film there so then the that that production actually filmed in Borneo mm-hmm. and I was showing Mutang the footage as like a assistant editor basically uh-huh. and he's like you know this is my home and I haven't been back for over 25 years and that started this journey and I was really intrigued with his story and he's like well actually I'm going to go back this summer um, there's going to be a hydroelectric dam project that will maybe destroy the entire forest like, fo- like homeland that, yeah. that I know of so why don't you come and film some of just like to archive the visual landscape and I thought like that sounds like a fun summer trip, but I feel like there's something more to this. I feel like there there could be um, more of a story to this. So would you consider being a, a participant in my documentary? And then kind of um, incur- incur- <laughs> convinced him to let me come with him. Nice. So something in your, your filmmaker senses was like tingling, right? Yeah. The story? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's awesome. And um, it's such a... I guess, especially in, in these times, such an important just story to show... You know the, the effects of modernization and industrialization. Um, how was um, how was making it? How was how long did it, how, how long ago did you shoot this? I f- I filmed for five years. So I started in two thousand. Started working with Mutang, Mutang in two thousand twelve. Okay. And what is it now? Two thousand seventeen. Yeah. <laughs> so it's been a long process. It's my, it's my first film. Great. So I've learned a lot <laughs> along the way. <laughs> And it's premiering tomorrow. Is this the um, the world premiere? It is. Wow! The congratulations. World Thank you. How does it feel to be at the Los Angeles Asian? I'm just say Lapith because that's what I call it. Cause... Okay, it's your podcast. You say <laughs> exactly. Um, I, it's amazing to have a festival that so strongly promotes representation and filmmaking by Asian Pacific Asian Pacific filmmakers. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I don't. I don't feel like the term Asian Pacific is used as much in Canada. Um, but yeah, I, I'm really thankful for the festival, and they've been very supportive in you know connecting me to media like you, and also yeah to to show the film. So um, this podcast is probably going to go up after the premiere. Yes. So let's just assume it went well. Okay. And it's super super awesome and everything. Um, <laughs> I guess, where are you going to go from here? Like, what's the plan for this stock? For the stock? Yeah. Well, um, I'm hoping to get it into more festivals. And after that, um, it's going to be broadcasted in Canada through a channel called Super Channel. Okay. I'm looking for more broadcasters. (laughs) (laughs) Putting the word out. Yes, putting the word out. I want to show it especially in Malaysia and with the community. So I'm, I'm planning to do that soon. Okay. Cool. And then afterwards, um, I'm not sure. The National Film Board has helped us with um, the National Film Board of Canada. Mm-hmm. They're they're going to do our, our educational distribution. Great. So for um, aspiring filmmakers, and we're going to switch hats into your, your filmmaker side now. Yes. Um, getting this project off the ground, you know, getting the funding, getting all the all the things you need to like go to travel internationally and film. Like how? how yeah. Was that? <laughs> it, it, I mean, it was. Uh, 
<laughs> it was it was a journey. Um, when I started the project, I had no funding. It's mm-hmm. it's not it's not a cheap film to you know <laughs> travel all the way to Malaysia. I I wanted to have a high quality of production, so I brought a camera operator and a sound operator, and I was lucky to have this like very enthusiastic and generous crew that came with me for free. Um, awesome. So that that's why the film looks and sounds so good. Mm-hmm. And. Um, yeah, like getting yeah, it off from the trailer, like a lot of a lot of beautiful shots of like just the the wilderness of of Malaysia. Yeah, yeah. Vincent Gunville, he's my cinematographer. <laughs> he's amazing, and it's such difficult conditions because we're going down boats, and he's like trying to keep it steady. So he's like, you got to be pretty athletic, and there's no electricity, there's no running water. Mm. We're like traveling for a few days. We, we don't even have tents. We're like sleeping in shelters that they kind of just build along the way. So, yeah, it wasn't for the faint of heart. Yeah, and and, imagine and just bringing all the gear with you, too, through the yeah, terrain. Yeah, and getting it off the U.S., yeah, it's, it wasn't easy financially. Um, but then I started partnering with a producer in Montreal called Katarina Sukup, and she, she helped me raise funding through um, right. for it. And so, at the end, it's like my first film, and it's very lucky that it could be fully funded. Yeah, so I guess um, for people looking to do what you do, I mean, what's the best piece of advice you have for just getting this stuff off the ground, finding finding people to support and to, you know... Um, I, I know a lot of it is luck. Yeah. But a lot of it is also hustle, hard work. And, yeah. You know. I mean, I was asking asking my um, mentors and stuff, like, oh, how do you become a filmmaker? <laughs> and they were like, the only difference from a filmmaker and not a filmmaker is a filmmaker's made a film. Right. So, like... <laughs> Yeah, so instead of investing money into, say, like, going to film school, I decided just to make a documentary. Yeah. Um, and I think we were successful in getting it off the ground, partly because I think I, I, cho- I found a story that people seem to want to see made. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really only got funding after filming already (laughs) so after my first trip and maxing out my credit cards and stuff like that so i know that's a privilege like not many it's like a limiter for some people it's also a risk a lot of people aren't willing to do that yeah you know obviously really believed in the story and that someone would support it and i mean that's part of i think that's part of um i talked to a bunch of filmmakers and a lot of a lot of the ones that have done this stuff and like you know do the same thing yeah you just like just you, people don't want to invest in you until you've shown that you could, you have some footage, and you could, <laughs> like they could see what it would look like. At least when you're in a, starting out. Yeah. So, what's your, um, do you have any like favorite memories from your trip? Well, yeah. So, like the film, you know, deals with a lot of heavy subjects, such mm-hmm. as like loss of culture and and loss of uh, destruction of land and things like that. But it was also a lot of fun to do. Like, I think that that's part of like the title a time to swim which is like you know a time to sink or swim which is kind of heavy but it's also like the kids are there it's the first time they've been to Sarawak his children it's the first time they've been there and they're seeing this world for the first time so I think I lived a little bit through them and we spent a lot of time literally swimming in the river awesome. and um, yeah there's there's I had experiences that I will never be able to do otherwise like travel with an indigenous group as they go traditionally hunting like that's not something that yeah. I normally would have been able to do without this this film so and I think it's great that um, especially um, the early part of the trailer is um, told through the daughter's perspective right? yes and I think that's a very like in terms of like the LA Asian American Film Festival like a very Asian American or Asian you know immigrant um, perspective which is like not knowing like the true story of where your parents come from especially from refugee communities where you know mm-hmm. it's uh, yeah I, I mean that's probably one of the reasons this story connected so strongly to me is because like, my parents left Vietnam, um, and I, w- I grew up in Canada, and the first time I went back, I was the same age as his daughter, the mm-hmm. first time she went back. So there was this, um, yeah, it was just, like, understanding that I understood her experiences of meeting a huge family that you didn't even know existed, and, like, seeing this culture that, like, vaguely seems familiar, but it's just so different from what you grew up with. Awesome. So, um, I know you're knee deep in this project right now but what's uh, what's what's next for you what, what do you what do you want to do well af- after working on this film and seeing how important cultural like passing on culture was for Mu Tang and his 
his family. I'm, I was starting to, you know, assess my Vietnamese-ness a little bit more, <laughs> and I want to make a film in Vietnam. Cool. Awesome. Yeah. Well, we're looking forward to that. Uh, for the rest of you all, watch out for A Time to Swim coming out, hopefully to all your local film yes. festivals, and watch out for um, eventually it'll probably be on some form of so, streaming form of online or thing. Yeah, online thing. But um, it looks great. Um, I'm going to definitely try to make it. Thank you. Yes, come uh, tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> um, we've been talking to Ashley Young of A Time to Swim. Uh, thank you so much for talking with us. Thank you. Yeah. Bye. Our next interview is with another Canadian director, Rendo Okita, this time for the narrative feature, The Lockpicker, a film about teen thief Hashi, who after the death of a friend, fantasizes about getting out of town. When his closest friend is victimized by violence, Hashi is forced to choose between fighting back and becoming what he fears, or saving himself and leaving behind everyone and everything he knows. Rando and I talk about the unique way that he went about making this film, including casting untrained high school age actors to add to the authenticity of his characters. Here is my conversation with Rando about the lockpicker. And we're here again at the Los Angeles Asian Pacific Film Festival. Um, I'm here with Rando Okita, uh, director of The Lockpicker, which is one of the films here at the festival. How's it going? Thanks Fantastic. for joining us. Fantastic. Thank you for having yeah. me. It's How's great. your day going? So, press day is always kind of a, a, a long, long... Are you tired of talking yet? Not at all. You know what? It's <laughs> nice to, to meet people that are watching the films, that are getting the films out there. It's pretty fun to, to, to be able to talk about and share the work. And hey, listen, I don't know if it's, if it's uh, old for you yet, but... I'm in LA, so this is pretty great. I just came from Toronto, which is uh, nice. where I live, and I love it. But it's a little cold there right now, and so it's nice <laughs> to be here in the sunshine. We are in the. Um, this is supposed to be spring, <laughs> but uh, we're in the throes of summer right now. Apparently, um, that's awesome. I'm actually born in Toronto. Oh, nice! But I moved to LA when I was one. So okay. Okay. Culturally, I am very much Southern Californian. But. That's fair. I mean, we'll we'll take it. You know what I mean? We we have a we have a habit. Of, we'll anything you do, we'll just we'll still take credit for. It. That's true. Yeah, <laughs> no. I take credit for all the great comedic actors we right? we give we give to the stage. As you should. As you should. We we you know, we have a good export business. I also told my girlfriend that um, if things go south here, I still have my citizenship, so we got a backup plan. It's very good to have. It's very it's very important. <laughs> it's nice it's nice to know, you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> all right. So, um Please introduce us to your film. What's it about? Sure. Um, so I wrote and directed this film called The Lockpicker, and uh, it's about a teen thief kind of getting pulled into a cycle of violence and trying mm. to figure out how to get out of it. Um, we meet him when he's kind of dealing with the aftermath of the loss of a friend to suicide. And uh, so he's a bit untethered already, and then he gets into a couple of unlucky situations. And uh, we kind of try to... We, 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 we go on the journey with him as he tries to, to figure out how to get out of this difficult situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we did shoot it in and around Toronto. Nice. Your, 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 your city of origin. My city of birth. Yes. yes. And uh, we worked, um, we partnered with uh, a number of teenagers and, and, and a high school in Toronto. Uh, so we kind of embedded ourselves in this high school for a number of months. And um, we involved a bunch of uh, youth behind the camera as well as in front of the camera so that uh, they got to learn a lot about the filmmaking process. Myself and a number of the other producers have done a lot of this kind of work and mentorship. Uh-huh. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I really believe in the filmmaking and storytelling process as, as, as illuminating some really important sort of ideas about teamwork and creativity and problem solving and resilience in life. Yeah. So um, when we were trying to tell this story about a teenager, we thought it made sense to sort of involve some teens. That's true. You always get the criticism that, like, Teenagers don't really act the way they do in movies. Yes, <laughs> yes. And listen, you know, I'm I'm a fan of all kinds of styles and different you know uh, uh, approaches to yeah. filmmaking. But you know, one of the things again, just for me, that I didn't want to do was 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 hire a bunch of you know older actors and get them to talk like I think teenagers talk. You right. know, and I think that the uh, the 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 BS meter, the BS sensitivity meter for teenagers is 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 always as high as it ever is and and as soon as you lose them to that kind of um you know that kind of tone if you're trying to tell a certain kind of story they're they're gone so for us you know we prized authenticity almost above everything um and and so we worked with a bunch of first-time actors and you know this was a a challenge in many ways but we allowed for it from 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 the get-go and you know we did certain things like we we didn't share the whole script 
with mm. the actors up front. We sort of went day by day, oh. which allowed them to go on the journey of these characters. And, and um, yeah, I think it really comes through in the film. You know, I, 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 that was one of our main goals. And I think that, um, you know, like I say, we built it into the way that we, we made the film. And I think that it, it shows in the, in the yeah. final piece. It sounds like it paid off because you've been you know, picking up some awards here and there. Um, won the jury award at the at SADAF, yes. last, the San Diego Asian Film Festival That's right. last year. Um, yeah, yeah, we've been awesome. very lucky. I mean, and I think that's a big, big part of it. I mean, I think, like you say, like there, there, there are a lot of coming of age movies. There are a lot of teen movies out there, and and like I say, I'm a fan of all kinds of different styles. For us, this was a, a particular thing uh, that we wanted to go after, and I think that uh, people respond to it in that way. You yeah. know, I have a lot of people for for better or worse <laughs> say that really reminded me of of, of the, my angsty teenage years and, and you know some people appreciate it and really like it and some people don't you That's know for, for no. good reason I mean we were, I was at the um, opening night last night of Better Look Tomorrow I was like yeah. I remember high school in the early aughts and yes That's it man <laughs> That's it and I think you know we we, we uh, as you as you would you know some of us it, 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 as soon as you get out of that situation you just want to get the heck away from right. it and forget about <laughs> it and, and, and I think that a lot of adults, you know, you, or, or people, you know, you just, you, 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 you drop that yeah. right away. And, you, and therefore, sometimes also you lose empathy. And it's easy as an adult to look back right. and say, these kids, you know. You want to forget about how dumb you were when you were a kid, right. you know. Yeah. But everyone was dumb. Everyone's the, dumb in their own way. Well, yeah. and it's, yeah. it's hard enough. I mean, listen, <laughs> I, think, I think forever, you yeah. know, it's always been hard to, 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 to be that age. And I think, you know, harder for some than others. But right. it's a difficult time to try to figure out how you're going to hold yourself in the world and 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 for us we wanted to kind of tell the story of um what that could look like when that also intersects with a couple of unlucky events you know you might not have the safety net that some people have and you know you might have an experience of violence and lose a friend and all of a sudden this presents a pretty dangerous situation and and it doesn't mean that uh you know it's not only bad people that get into bad situations and i kind of wanted to tell a story about about that great so is this your first um, full feature? Or it is, yeah. Awesome, yeah. How was the How was that experience? You know, it was um, incredible. It was beyond words. Uh, you know, I, it, it's hard to not frame it, um, or it's hard to, to, to you know say anything. Uh, but 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 magic when we're here doing this and we get to share it and people right. are appreciating the film, you know. Uh, but it was really a joy. It was it was a, a ton of hard work. Um, you know, by a lot of people and a lot of great hearts, but it's pretty magical. It was, you know, another. It was. It, I, I don't expect to be this lucky all the time. You know, I say that up front. It doesn't mean that you can you can always be this lucky. But I think I was really lucky to work with uh, a bunch of really incredible people that got behind. You know, a somewhat experimental yeah. vision and a different way of approaching things. Sounds like you went like the extra mile to do this your way and. Yeah, yeah and it, you know the meaning in sharing the film now is 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 so much deeper, you know, because of that. And and uh, you know, it's that scrappy sort of teenager version of myself too. That's like, well, what if we did it this way? I know it's not the way that it's always done, but what if we did, you know, involve the community that we're pretending to make this film about? You know, right. what if we did that for a change? What if we actually brought them in and 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 collaborated as opposed to telling them a story about what they're going through why yeah. not let them be a part of that and you know a lot of people gave us some pretty hard warnings and said you don't want to work with with real with real teens <laughs> you know real quote-unquote teens like untrained actors there they said you know you're gonna schedule is gonna go 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 out the window and you're gonna lose all the money and all the things and you know um we made some plans and we allowed for for a lot of those kind of moments and and we scheduled things accordingly but uh i think like i say it comes through in the film and 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 you don't know if you don't try you know i mean and that's the thing like some people are so you know because like producers and and especially like business minded people they're all about like not doing the risky thing yeah right and but at the same time you know the real the great business minds the great you know people who make things happen they are well aware of the risks you know and they, they do it anyways because because they know that the reward is there and if you can manage the risk if you're flexible enough like you can you can deal with it that's right? it yeah. and and you know i think it's easy to forget when you're in the throes of you know budgeting and scheduling and financing and all that kind of stuff it's easy to forget that like you know 
we're here to experiment. This whole this whole idea is an experiment. You know, we're a bunch of adults in this industry that get together and play make believe. Yeah. You know, and you're doing it for a reason, and it's not just to get a product that looks the same. And like you say, I think great business minds recognize that uh, you need to tweak a recipe if you want to get a new kind of yeah. product. You know, you need to and you need to be open to that experimentation and work with people that care. And, and and that are smart, so they're not just gonna 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 go wild. And you know, I have I'm, I am one of the producers on the film, and I have tons of respect for you know the financing and the schedule and the budget. But also, what are, we're, we're not here to do the easy thing. If we wanted to just you know make an you know hit a schedule and hit a budget, there's a lot of a lot of a lot of easier, easier ways, ways to, to do, do this, you know. Yeah. And so you know, it's great it, it, and was a great pleasure to sort of work with with producers that understand that and you know you, you still got to have parameters but yeah. you can change those parameters according to what you want to make you know yeah, that's awesome um in terms of this being your first first feature yeah. writer director um how long has the story been how long have you been working on this story you know you know i think i think uh the kind the way that i work i mean the stories are are cooking for a pretty long time yeah. they're gestating i mean this is is uh, heavily based on on my life experiences as a teenager and, and and people that were close to me, so you know I'd say that it's been in there for a while, um, but it took a couple years, you know, of hard sort of focus work to kind of get it out there. Um, uh, but like I, you know, like I say, I believe that all those things are working in the background a long yeah. time. I, I work, I don't develop a lot of stuff. I, I, I make very few things, but but I'm very focused on them. So I think that there's a there's a long there's a long slow early process <laughs> that that you know I, is always happening, and that I kind of you know you you try not to look too far ahead because right. you know it's working. You know <laughs> I you know I, I I can feel the next thing kind of getting ready to come, and then you know there's 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 a I but I only want a little backlog. Not if you if your backlog <laughs> gets too big and you're you're thinking about too many things, you know. It's, it can be tough, but yeah, no, it was a few years yeah. in the works. Great. Um, as one last question is um, in terms of as a filmmaker, as a Canadian filmmaker, yeah. as a Canadian Asian filmmaker. Yeah. Um, how is the how is the um, how is the community there different from out here? You know, um, we we have a we have a team out in, in Toronto too for collaboration, and sometimes they tell us that like the, the diversity um, discussion is a lot different. Like people don't feel it's as important sometimes. Interesting. Um, you know, I mean, yeah, it, it, it depends on who you talk to. Mm-hmm. There's, there's, a, there's a, lot of, a lot of different opinions and approaches mm-hmm. to, to the whole thing. I think that, you know, Canadians in general, um, we have a lot of different approaches to identity, you know, especially in, in the industry and in the media uh, you know, in the in, in the in the media industry, we you know when we're talking about representation and we're talking about putting ourselves out there, and 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 you know especially in film and TV, when we're when we're next door to the states and and the amount of work that they're putting out and the level and all of that sort of influence, um, I can certainly agree with the fact that it's definitely can be sometimes different and people can be a little more shy and, uh, but but um, that also comes from. Um, I think there's less separation sometimes in Canada. You know, it's less uh, heated, mm. um, you know, the, the, the debate. Uh, but I think that people do make the mistake of, of uh, thinking that that means that it's... Everything's uh, hunky-dory. That everything's okay yeah. or that it's less important to have those conversations. Right. Um, and people mistake, you know, some politeness for, for, for lack of fire, <laughs> which, is, which is a mistake as well. Yeah. Um, but you know, I mean, it's 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 an interesting time, man. I mean, it, it always is maybe an interesting time, but it's yeah. it's pretty crazy to see you know what's happening here, and 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 believe you me, you know that we're we're watching, <laughs> yeah. we're watching, we're paying attention, we're 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 we're, we're uh, taking up the good fight as well, yeah. and uh, you know we're we're growing and learning too. Awesome. Yeah. Well, the film is the lock picker. Um, it's. I'm playing here at the Los Angeles Asian Pacific Film Festival. By the time you hear this, it'll probably already been played. But where's, what's this? Where are you going next with this? Uh, we got a few more festivals coming up. Uh, you know, check us out. The Lockpicker Movie is on Facebook, and uh, randallokita.com is my website. You can check it out and see where we'll be next, and hopefully we'll be out sort of in a wider release in the fall. Awesome. Looking forward to it. Thank you so much, thanks, man. Little, thanks a lot for talking to us. Thank you and, for um, having And have me. a great rest of your day. Cheers. Thank you. Man. All right. 
Our next segment covers the HBO APA Visionary Showcase, co-presented by Visual Communications and CAPE. The HBO Asian Pacific American Visionaries is a collection of three short films by emerging APA directors that will debut on HBO on May 1st across various HBO platforms. Exploring a range of controversial issues, the award-winning shorts examine crime, addiction, and family turmoil within the APA community. The three shorts in the program were the winners of HBO's first Asian Pacific American Visionary Short Film Competition, a contest dedicated to discovering and showcasing up-and-coming American filmmakers of Asian Pacific descent. Um, please join me and Jimmy uh, in welcoming the winners of the 2017 APA Visionaries Short Film Competition. First up, for the director of Toenail, Jing Xiao. of Monday. New Jersey. Uh, I found my way over here for film school and I've uh, been here and worked abroad a little bit. Um, I got into filmmaking uh, actually in college. I went to NYU and I was there to study psychology. I love films but I never um, understood the filmmaking part of it as a possible thing. I didn't know anybody uh, who was involved in history or anything like that. But once I got there I met some people who were actors and directors in the programs over there, and I saw them doing it, you know, just just them, a little handy cam and some lights, and I was like, oh wow, this is, there's actually a process and all that. And so I just started, you know, scheming in my head, and little by little, uh, I just found to love it and pursue it and, you know, stick with it. Jingyi Xiao is the director of Toenail, which centers around a career-obsessed Yelpie having to care for his ailing father on the eve of a major promotion. Shell talks to us along with his lead actor, Justin Lee. You know, there's nothing like sitting in a dark room with strangers and they're watching something that you put so much time in. Um, with me and Justin, the story was very personal. So it's like they're, you know, they're looking at us and they're deciding whether to, like, laugh, you know, at our corny jokes and, like, <laughs> like us as people. So for people to come up to us and say that they liked the film, that it meant something to them is uh, incredibly, incredibly awesome. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's always a lot of fun, you know? Premieres are great. You get to see all your hard work come to life and, and how people are going to receive it, you know? It's always weird to watch myself on screen. I'll never get, never get tired, you know? I, I, always, I always feel weird about that. I don't think that'll ever change, um, especially when it comes to these dramatic scenes, you know? But... Luckily, someone broke the ice, and I heard like a really big fart come out, like <laughs> right in like the pinnacle, pinnacle scene. Oh, that's why you were laughing. Yeah, I, I was laughing, <laughs> but I, no joke, I kind of appreciated that. It really eased the tension for me because I, I, who likes to watch themselves cry? Honestly, spoiler alert, but I don't. I don't. <laughs> um. So I was born in Wisconsin. I was there till I was 10, and then I moved to Irvine, or Asian Pleasantville. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I um, also kind of came to filmmaking when I was in college. Um, you know, I've always really loved stories, so naturally I went to top filmmaking school of Harvard, <laughs> which I actually know. So I didn't know, I didn't realize that filmmaking was something that someone could really do until I went to college. Um, and I started doing some photography classes there and did a lot of theater and I think that um, I had this experience of uh, I think for the first time really making something 
and being so involved and excited and passionate about that. And um, kind of since then, I haven't looked back. <laughs> Tiffany Sue is the director of Wonderland, a short film that explores the lonely and surreal world of a 12-year-old girl whose mother, played by Joan Chen, is a gambling addict. I feel really excited. It was really amazing to be able to showcase Wonderland in such a supportive and wonderful environment. Um, I'm so excited that it gets to play on HBO. I think I, uh, I admire so much of their content, so to be a part of that is, is really exciting. Yeah, it was really fun. It was, it was new and kind of strange to see it on such a large screen, but it's fun. I told all my friends about it and you know got them excited too, so it's great. <laughs> Um, I'm Audra Huey. I was in Wonderland. Yeah, starred in Wonderland. The lead actress is played by Audrey Huey, who is also Joan Chen's real-life daughter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, working with my mom was really fun. Um, she also helped guide me and tell me what was happening. And it was kind of weird. It was like a scarier version of her when she was like, you know, doing her job. And it was really crazy. I kind of want to see the movie behind the scenes of like getting to work with your mom in such a professional capacity because I'm sure it's the first time you get to see her. She's like focused on her job and it's a whole different perspective. It was also almost kind of like a soccer mom moment because even though it was not soccer, but it was like her hyping me up or like preparing me for a scene. It was our soccer mom thing. Yes. Drama, theater, stage mom. That's it. Exactly. I was uh, born in Vietnam and we are immigrants and refugees. We moved here about 1980, and my parents and my family's, uh, my siblings were always telling us, you gotta work hard, you gotta do some business stuff, and you gotta come to work with us. And when you get off of school, you gotta come and hang out at the warehouse and do a lot of work. I hated hate that shit. <laughs> so, it's a film school. Um, you know, messed up a lot, really did some stupid stuff. As a commercial director, you know, made a lot of mistakes and practice and then I partnered with them, Josh Robin. I was like, hey man, we should do something. We should start a company and have some good times. And make some more mistakes and piss some more people off. And then all of a sudden, uh, some other friends were making movies and that inspired us to make our own. So, if you notice the opening scene, you don't really see who this person is. So we tried to make it so that you would judge him based on what he was saying and what he was doing. And then obviously there was a reveal and then hopefully that would change your mind about who he was. Din Tai is the director of Monday, the show that won this year's HBO APA Visionary Short Film Competition. Monday follows a young drug dealer who finds himself struggling with the moral implications of his illicit profession. Kevin David Lin plays Quan, the main character, in a role that's far from stereotypical for Asian American actors. Uh, you know, as an Asian guy, you know, our representation isn't very, it's probably the worst besides black women in, in media. And so for, for me to have that opportunity is like a dream, it really is. It's like, uh, you know, I wasn't a scientist, I wasn't weird or nerdy. And so I, more than anything else, I was like very grateful and I felt like I had a lot of pressure to do it justice because uh, this is an opportunity that a lot of other Asian guys would love to have as well. So if I'm to represent that opportunity, I wanted to do a really good job. Um, so really, I, I was just very grateful, very, very grateful that Din found me and, uh, and he was such a you know, great director to work with. And, um, and I think, I, I don't know, I just feel lucky, honestly, that I, this is like one of the first roles that I get to, get to have as my calling card. Yeah, it, it's always interesting to see different types of cultures sort of assimilate to a different culture, right? And so that's 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 what I try to do with Quan was to make him sort of be a little bit of everyone because I think that that's what we do in real life. We shift our characters, we shift our personalities, um, we speak to people a certain way because either they demand it from us or we're trying to hide something, we want something from them. And so that was that was the influence. The three films will be available throughout the month of May for Asian Pacific American Heritage Month across various HBO platforms including HBO Now, HBO Go, HBO On Demand, and HBO Zone. Um, it, I mean, it's incredible. I mean, it's incredible. Um, you know, when you make a short film, usually it's about, it's about showcasing your talents as a filmmaker. And you send it to film festivals and you hope that people will see it. You send it out to specific people. For it to be on HBO, um, it gives it legitimacy. Anyone can see it anytime. If they have HBO, 
and it's just it just makes your film so much bigger you know for us this is such a small personal film for it to end up on HBO uh, is crazy I mean yeah they've got absolutely amazing shows I mean some of my favorite shows are on there so just I mean, to have yours on yeah. there with some of your favorite shows is, is a definitely huge yeah. uh, hypothetically someone might watch you know Game of Thrones and be like oh actually I want to watch Toenail now it's our short possible. Toenail <laughs> yeah, yeah. hypothetically that's possible right very that's crazy <laughs> very, very hypothetical it's been really great working with the HBO crew um, I think that it uh, you know, HBO has always been at the forefront with a lot of uh, with their TV programs and and you know, kind of elevating TV and and now that they're taking this step in order to create more diverse voices and support diverse voices in the industry, um, I think that I'm just fortunate to be a part of that. <laughs> um, for me, I just hope that they one one they watch it all the way through, <laughs> and two, um, just that it moves them in some way. Uh, whether they agree with or they disagree with their move by or, you know, uh, they laugh or they think it's not funny at all. If, if they're moved in some way and they learn something new or a new sort of viewpoint, uh, I think that's what I hope most hope for. For those of you interested in participating in this program next year, HBO will launch the 2017-2018 version of the competition this summer. For official rules and guidelines, visit www.hbovisionaries.com. Thank you guys all for coming out. One more round of applause for us. The next interview is with Angie Wong, the writer and director of Cardinal X. Cardinal X is a narrative feature taking place in 1984 about an Asian-American girl who becomes one of the largest dealers of ecstasy to fund her elite university education. We talked to Angie about her transition from an entrepreneur in Silicon Valley to a filmmaker and how this film may be just a little bit autobiographical. Hey everyone, we're back at the Los Angeles Asian Pacific Film Festival. I'm here with Angie Wong. Hello. The filmmaker, writer, and director of Cardinal X, um, a narrative feature here at the festival. How's it going? Good, good. Thanks How's your day going me. so far? It's a long day. Yeah. <laughs> I'm really hungry. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. it's been a lot of fun. Everyone's um, really supportive. Amy at the front door, she has some veggie chips, so if you want some nice. snacks, Thanks. she'll cook you up. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so welcome to the festival. This is your first you. film, right? It is. It is. Awesome. My very first film. Can you um, explain, like, introduce it to the audience? Sure, sure. Cardinal X is um, largely inspired by my own life experiences. Um, it's about uh, an Asian-American girl who's pretty damaged, you know, tough, tough background, um, who parlays her way to, you know, a pretty prestigious West Coast university, only to decide, stupidly, to um, bust into organic chemistry lab and mix up her own 3,4-methyldioxymethylamphetamine, or MDMA, mm -hmm. or ecstasy. And she becomes a pretty big ecstasy dealer during the 80s on the West Coast. Okay. <laughs> Is this like is this based on a true story or it is oh. it is largely inspired by my own life okay so yes great um, so is this the first festival that is this the premiere at this festival no um, it's our LA premiere but we actually were at Campfest in San Francisco okay cool. yeah which was fantastic thank you yeah how was how was that how was the reception there it was amazing I, people really you know it seemed to resonate with people people got it you know we had a couple of packed houses we played to and and the staff of of Campfest was super supportive you know yeah really really amazing great this is um I'm just thinking because I was at the uh, premiere, um, the opening night last night when they showed Better Luck, Better Luck Tomorrow, yeah. which is um, just thinking Lynn's about, movie. yeah, which is just thinking about how um, it's still rare to see these depictions of Asian Americans like that do bad things. Yes, right? yes. I wish Roger Ebert were still here to defend <laughs> me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Have you been getting some backlash from that, or? Yeah, you know, I mean, there are some people who just don't get it, mm. you know, and haters are going to hate. And, yeah. You know, I fantasize about blowing blowing their houses up, but it's not going to happen. Um, you know, Sorry, everyone's you can entitled metaphorically to do it. Yes. In your films. Yes. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, you know, I think I think though largely people are resonating with it because the, you know that they're saying that it's it's pretty authentic. There's a ring of truth to it. Yeah, I mean, a lot of representations about seeing stories that you know you, you recognize from your friends or people you know that mm-hmm. you often get to see on screen. Yes, so that's great. Yes. Um, so, um, tell me a little bit more about how how you came to make this film. Like, so it's a pretty winding path. You know, I'm pretty advanced to be a first-time filmmaker in my age. So, um, you know, I, I had a... It's never too late. Uh, that's that's okay. right. That's right. Um, I had a nice, successful run in Silicon Valley. I had a good career there. I was very lucky. I felt very blessed. Um, found myself in a situation where I was like, I don't have to sling hash anymore for a living if I don't want to. So I kind of went through this process of crashing around and really asking myself what I wanted to do with myself. I'm, I'm not a very good PTA mom. You know, I was like, this is so fucking boring. <laughs> not not any slight on PTA moms, but I, I just wasn't for me. Everyone's got their own, yes. their own thing. Yes. Yeah. So I decided, you know, I felt it. I always felt very grateful to, to be living the life that I'm leading. Um, you know, I say all the time I should be dead a hundred different times, a hundred different ways, but I'm not. So I really feel um, a persistent call to give back. Mm-hmm. And I founded a nonprofit called GROW, which stands for Global Resiliency Outreach Work. And we basically go into the inner cities and we work with at-risk youth, in the middle school specifically. Um, And we do like a process group to give them a venue to be able to talk about, you know, the very real challenges that go on in their lives. You know, is it a mom who's strung out? Is it a dad who is, you know, abusive? Is it a dad in jail? Is it a brother who got shot and killed? And, you know, there's a huge taboo in so many... Um, cultures, uh, you don't tell your business. You right. know, for Asian Americans, I mean, Especially, my father yeah. was like, we don't fucking tell our business outside this house. <laughs> so I found that the way that what granted them permission to own their own stories was for me to be very honest um, and very matter of fact about some of my some of my challenges. And um, uh, so I think that was sort of the birthplace of the seed, you know, there was a seed planted because I thought I'd love to be able to reach more kids. I can only do so many groups. Yeah. And media has always had, you know, such a powerful effect upon me and helped to reparent me and guide me through the dark. And so I really wanted to make a film that was a love note back to that industry and as well as to these kids because I feel like they don't have a voice. Right. So I, I wanted, I felt a responsibility to tell this story in an authentic sense. Awesome. So... This specific story, is this something that's been brewing in you for some time now? Or? Yes, yes. People are always like, how long did it take to write this script? And I'm like, I sat down and I wrote it in like 10 days, but in reality it had been percolating for mm. a couple of years. You know, so, yeah. Um, yeah, no, it's been living in me for quite some time, and I think, you know, I'm, I'm thrilled that it's kind of getting out there in the world. Yeah. This movie takes place in the 80s? Yes. Right? So how, what was it like um, creating a... What's now considered a period piece? Yeah, I know. Yeah. I know. I'm like, it's not a period piece. It just <laughs> happened. Um, <laughs> it's expensive. Yeah. <laughs> it's expensive. But it was also a lot of fun. You know, yeah. like my costume designer, Kit, we worked together, you know, way before we shot. And she, she did so much research on, on 80s fashion and, you know, specifically what was going on in the clubs at that time. Mm-hmm. And she would come to me with these, you know, beautiful sketches. And, and um, you know, she built this fantastic wardrobe that helped to tell the story and my production designer Rodrigo Cabral you know really killed it just in terms of of capturing the 80s vibe I feel like and and our different sets he built that the dorm room which was I almost started crying when I saw it because I was like oh it's so fucking perfect so um but you know there are things like you have to watch out if there's a you can't have an electric car in your shot. Right. You know, they didn't exist. You can't. Ha- there are certain things that you have to really be mindful of when you're doing a period piece. Yeah. No cell phones. No cell phones. Mm. And the money. The money was different. Yeah. Yeah. So awesome. all kinds of things. <laughs> um, so um, let's talk about your cast. Yeah. How did you find your leading lady, I guess? So um, I worked with Shana Landsberg, my casting director, and she kind of called it out and Annie had put herself on tape, and she also she defied convention by reaching out to me directly um, and wrote this really beautiful, heartfelt uh, email about how she really loved the story. It resonated with her deeply, and she offered to fly herself out to, to read for me. So um, she was actually the first person who read for me. And initially, I just I was like, she's too young, like she's too like little. She's like 85 pounds. She played herself as a 13 year old in my movie and was believable. So um, it wasn't until I, you know, had read like a ton more people, and I was sitting across the dinner table from my own teenage daughter and teenage stepdaughter, and I thought, oh man, this character is really more their peer than it is my concocted, you know, mm-hmm. 
you know, Hollywood version of a, of a college kid who could be like 30 years old. Yeah. So I realized at that point, you know, I think for me it was a mental block. Like I didn't think of myself as being young and, and vulnerable, but I was. You know, I was 18. You still kind of have a baby when you're 18. Yeah. So at that point I was like, it, it's an easy decision to cast Annie. Yeah, she really killed it. Awesome. So something we do with collaboration is you know, our audience are young and aspiring creatives, filmmakers. Um, what do you have to say about people who have these stories that they don't feel that they can or should tell or are worried about what people might think? You, you know? can't let that stop you. I mean, you know, I didn't make this film to hurt anyone, nor did I make it to kowtow to anyone. I made it because it's my truth, and I really I felt that it needed to be told, and I told it for the kids who might, you know, be able to resonate with it. Um, so I think, you know, nobody's going to give you permission. Like, nobody's going to walk up to you and be like, you know what? You look like you should make a film. <laughs> you have to just be like, I'm doing it. Yeah. I'm going to do what it takes. I'm going to fucking keep the door down. Yeah, and it's great because... There should be more stories like this, too, about even strong female characters who aren't maybe 100% angels. Yes, or, you yes. Know, yeah. Nobody's 100% an angel, <laughs> you know? I mean, I have yet to meet that person. So I, I do believe, you know, that um, it's much more interesting to, to do character studies of people who are, like, human, flawed, you know? They do good and bad things. Mm -hmm. You know, they battle. They're, they're angels and demons are always wrestling. You yeah. know, I think it, it's true to life. Yeah. So what's next with this film after after Lapith? So we go to New York to play the New York City Independent Film Festival, awesome. and then we've just gotten a couple of um, of other festivals reach out to me to see if we could play there. Great. And then hopefully we'll have a you know a theatrical run and go to VOD. Yeah, awesome. Yeah. Well, congratulations on Thank the you. film. Um, wishing you the best for your premiere, LA Thank premiere you so here. Much. Um, we've been we've been talking to Angie Wong of Cardinal X here at the Los Angeles Asian Pacific Film Festival. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Our last interview is with Doris Young, the director of Taxi Stories. In an increasingly economically polarized and virtually connected 24-hour Asia, a closeted Beijing taxi driver, a pregnant Hong Kong trophy wife, and a Jakarta slum orphan struggle to connect despite the constraints of their social classes. Taxi Stories is part of the international competition, and Doris talks to us about her roots with VC and what led her to create this story, as well as her efforts in bringing diverse cinema to her current hometown in the Netherlands. And hey, we're back at the Los Angeles Asian Pacific Film Festival. Uh, it's press day. I'm here with the writer and director of Taxi Stories, um, Doris Young. How's it going? Good. How are you? Great. Uh, so... Uh, it's been a long day. How are you doing? How's, uh, how's, how's it been just talking about your film? Oh, it's been great. I mean, um, this is only the second time it's played uh, after its premiere three weeks ago in Amsterdam. Okay. And uh, no, I'm just really happy to bring it back to LA, film Fest LA Asian Film Festival. This is where I kind of got my start as a filmmaker. Awesome. Uh, I went to school here. I went to UCLA. And then after the AFI and um, VC, which is what they call it mm -hmm. back then, it was one of the first uh, festivals that showed my work, uh, short, my short films from school. And, uh, and actually one of my uh, mentors of my, uh, yeah, of my, career is uh, Linda Mabalot, mm. who was one of the executive directors of VC back then, and um, she was just really a mentor to me and really instilled in me kind of the need to uh, represent um, uh, ourselves in, 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 the, in the media, in television, in film. Yeah. So tell our listeners a little bit about your film, Taxi Stories. Uh, my film is a mosaic film of uh, three stories and uh, uh, narrative stories in Asia, which take place in three different cities: in Jakarta, in Hong Kong, and in Beijing. Um, they're fictional stories that take in and in, uh, take place in and around taxis, mm -hmm. and um, the theme uh, it's th they're thematically linked uh, by the theme that Asia is getting more and more wealthy. Uh, but the divide between the have and have-nots is getting wider and wider. Great. And how long have you been working on this film? Um, about three years from the beginning of the idea to completion, and now it's on its festival run. And yeah. 
Um, so is this your is this your first feature? Or? This is my second feature. Second, okay, awesome. Yeah. What lessons have you carried over from your first feature? Well, this is um, I actually made my first feature in 2009, and then I stopped for a while because I um, also ran a Asian film festival in Holland called Cinemasia. Okay. It's kind of a little bit like the equivalent of this, but in Europe. Mm-hmm. And um, so I was doing, being a programming for programmer for a, a long while. And then a few years ago, I decided to go back to my filmmaking roots and uh, make another film. And so it became this film, Taxi Stories. And Taxi Stories is kind of my first um, dip back into the into the filmmaking pool, so to speak. Great. Yeah. And so the story is more of an international story here at the, the film festival. Um, is that something that you, you feel drawn to like telling the international stories yeah. well i i myself consider myself uh asian american mm-hmm. and a lot of you know what i believe my politics uh comes from that uh, but i also think i am a citizen of the world as as are we all mm-hmm. um i was born in the u.s but i grew up in hong kong and uh, i came back when i was 10 and then um in college i uh, went to china for two years and studied there and then when I was 24, I moved to Holland, um, and I've been there ever since, 2001, 2002. Wow. So I've been there quite a while. Great. How has it been um, just, like, exploring um, what it means to be Asian-American, but also yeah. as part of, like, the Asian diaspora in, in Europe and abroad? It's very funny because I'm always aware of it because I always <laughs> have to explain to people in Europe what is Asian-American. Like, oh, you were born in the U.S., but you grew up in Hong Kong, and then, oh, you're not really from Hong Kong, or, or like, uh, <laughs> but you're, you're not really American, and, you know, this whole thing. But they, they understand that even less over there because mm. it's not... Um, it's just why we I started the festival to kind of educate the people in Europe around mm-hmm. me to stop asking all these questions, like, <laughs> but also to help um, you know the, the Asian diaspora in in Europe because mm-hmm. they came. There's a lot of the same things that um, like 30 years ago, like we saw we never saw anyone, any person of color or Asians on the screen on television in movies, right. uh, only until recently that it's become much better. But in Europe, you see no no Asians, and they're definitely there. I mean, yeah. we have big Asian diasporic uh, populations. For example, in Netherlands, where I'm, I'm living, uh, we have a huge Indonesian population because it was a colony of, mm-hmm. of uh, Holland, France. You have the Vietnamese. There, there are lots of Asians, but you never hear about them. Yeah, uh, I actually yeah. want to talk more about that because that's yeah. super interesting. Is um, how is because um, you know the as far as we are from what where we want to be in America, you know, we've been fighting for a representation. It's been like escalating the last couple of years. Yeah. Like, how is it over there in, in Europe? It's it's really sad. Actually, it's almost <laughs> non-existent. Mm. And uh, some t- and my team, my my festival team in Holland. I feel like I am Linda, like my I am the Linda edu- yeah. trying to educate these young people about uh, yeah politicizing themselves because this is what I learned as a young mm-hmm. you know student yeah. here, and I think that's also a very American thing because in Europe they don't it's not they're not as political mm-hmm. because you you don't have to fight for your rights as much yeah everything is kind of oh LGP fine oh whatever fine yeah. you know. I find but, that, but yeah. that's actually under that's just the surface. Underneath, you realize there's still a lot of latent racism, a lot of latent, uh, home, uh, you know, um, yeah, homophobia. homophobia. It's just um, not overt. It's, it's not, not overt. Yeah. Oh, we're liberal. Yeah. We're in Amsterdam. You know, yeah. we can smoke pot and be very liberal. But yeah. underneath that, as you may have heard, I mean, even there, you have these right wing politicians coming into power. So yeah. it's not a given. You you have to what as I learned from Linda, you really have to fight for your rights. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's uh, definitely yeah. all across the, um, the the Western world, I guess. It's yeah. it's getting kind of scary for people of yeah. color, immigrants. And someone was saying how this is usually the time when like the best art is is created. I have to say there's something to that, because mm. when there's adversity and suppression, that's when you break through. Mm. And sometimes that's how the world works. <laughs> Hopefully it doesn't blow up in nuclear war or something, <laughs> but uh, yeah. Well, we just keep making we art. We get some good happens. art out of it. Yeah. <laughs> Um, Before so, we get blown up, <laughs> um, the story that takes place, and like, even within your story, it seems uh, like it's a very international, like a lot of different perspectives. How long has been this been um, something that you've been thinking about, this working on? Actually, this um, film came about from a Facebook post of a friend of mine. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a, a well-known LGBT activist in China, and he always has these funny. He's always these really funny Facebook posts, and I always like read them, mm-hmm. and they're about his daily life and things. And one of the posts was about him getting into a taxi outside a gay bar in Shanghai, 
and then he, and then he, the taxi driver, who was this provincial taxi driver, proceeded to proposition him uh, sexually <laughs> in exchange for like not paying his fare or something. Oh, wow. And my friend is like this really rich, like kind of they call it the second generation rich in right, China. Yeah. Like, um, and he's like, why do why do you care about your your free fare? You know, like, uh, <laughs> I was like who do you think you are? Blah, blah, blah. And then uh, I thought it was just so interesting um, because in China. Most of the taxi drivers are provincial folks from the provinces. They come into the city, and mm-hmm. it's a low-paying job, and try to make some money. So they actually don't know their way around the city, even though they're driving a taxi. Oh. And they're kind of, you know, kind of country bumpkins. Mm-hmm. And so I just thought, oh, it's like really a city mouse, country mouse kind <laughs> of story. And that happens a lot in this new China, this new Asia, yeah. where the old and the new clash together. You know, educated, uneducated, or in, in between. Mm-hmm. You know, in one generation, you go from rags to riches. Yeah, and it's it's there's so much there's so much interesting there's so many interesting stories there. Yeah, and uh, that's kind of what I wanted to show uh, in three different cities of Asia. This kind of clashing of cultures, social classes. And, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, um, yeah my, my parents yeah. Um, live in China right now too, and definitely see the 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 pros and cons of like yeah. rapid economic yes. ascension really yes. yeah. yeah great so what's um so this is the third time you've shown this film the second time second time yeah okay. so yeah after la we're gonna go to shanghai next month and uh, that'll be the asian premiere mm-hmm. and then um actually we're looking forward to seeing what the chinese audiences think of it yeah and then after that um in vancouver and jakarta and hong kong yeah. great yeah. How is the um, how is the independent film scene in, in China? Actually? The what scene? Sorry, the in- independent film scene. Actually, there's a lot going on, yeah. but a lot of it doesn't get seen outside of China because mm. um, the quality sometimes is not that good, or um, the filmmakers don't know how to get it out there, um, yeah. or the topics are just too topical, like they're just <laughs> too Chinese and not of interest to anyone else. Mm. Um, of course, you have those kind of festival films that. They only show outside the country, only in festivals. They're not allowed to show in the country. Right. Uh, actually, mine is a little bit like that okay. because with the LGBT content, it wouldn't be able to be shown in theaters, right. uh, but only in festivals, basically. Okay. In China, that is. Got it. Yeah. Cool. Well, the film yeah. is Taxi Stories. We've been talking to uh, Doris Young, uh, the writer and director. Yeah. Uh, thank you so much for chatting so with us. Thanks for and, having yeah, me. Have a, have a great festival. You too. And that's it for this special episode of the Collabcast. I hope you all enjoyed um, listening to these great filmmakers talk about their art. And again, if you have any thoughts about future bonus episodes um, or if you have any ideas for great events that we should cover, um, please don't hesitate to contact us at podcast at collaboration.org. We always love to hear from our listeners. Again, you can learn more about Collaboration by going to our website at www.collaboration.org where you can learn more about Collaboration's programs as well as find past episodes of the Collabcast. Thanks again to our friends from Visual Communications for organizing the 2017 Los Angeles Asian Pacific Film Festival and for allowing us to cover it. Learn more about Visual Communications and their programs by going to their website, vconline.org. As always, the Cloudcast is part of the Potluck Podcast Collective, a collective of Asian American podcasts and podcasters. Learn more about the collective by going to the website, www.podcastpotluck.com and take a look at all of our great programs. Thanks again for listening and I'll see you all next time.